Hey, it's great to see you. My name is Cal, and I'm part of the team here. And from the Hayward campus, we greet you uh, here at the Fremont campus. Hey, you know what? We're one church in two locations, and uh, it's good to see you this morning. So all across this place, you can be seated, and it's great, great to have you. It's a privilege and an honor to bring this message to you today and uh, to see what God wants to do inside of you, and I'm glad you're here. We're talking about the last words of Jesus when he hung on the cross. So inside of your, mess, inside of your uh, program, you, you were given some message notes. So if you want to pull those out now, grab your program and pull the message notes out and uh, get ready to write and get a pen and go ahead. If you don't have a pen, if you'll raise your hand, our ushers will give you a pen and uh, they'll make sure that you have one to write with you today. We're, we're, this, is a one part, this is a three-part series. Number one today is I talk about the words of forgiveness that Jesus gave from the cross and this series will take us right up to Easter. And Easter, we have six services across both campuses for you to choose from. So I'm going to invite you and encourage you to bring your friends and bring your neighbors and drag somebody that you don't know. You know, driving down 880, you're stuck in traffic, put up a sign on your window, come to church with me, you're stuck anyway. So anyway, bring your friends to Easter service. It's really great. We have a great, great Easter weekend planned for you. So hey, let, let's jump in the message today. We're going to talk about a day in the life of Jesus that was like no other day. Like no other day. We call it Good Friday. Wasn't really anything good about it for Jesus. Really good for us on the back side of this. But it wasn't very good for Jesus. Um, I want to give you a passage of scripture. It's in your notes that we're going to kind of use to see a little bit of a guide and a foundation. What we're going to talk about today. But I, but I want to tell you right up front that this is a pretty sincere message that, that's going to have the potential and the propensity to really stick you right between the eyes. So are you ready for that? So here, here we go. Let's read uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 in your notes. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's a good thing to do, isn't it? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Why does he say that? Now, some translations said, focus your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because there's so many distractions in the world that will take our focus off of the things that are important. And what the, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that in all the midst of that, you're going to go through, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race that we're in. How many of you feel like sometimes life is a race? <laughs> Especially when you get out there on 880. Okay, it's a race. Study. Here's what I want you to underline. Study how he did it. Would you underline that? Study. Don't, don't just, this is important. Don't just read about it. Don't just listen to it on a Sunday morning. Study how he did it. Did what? Finish this race. Got in it, finished it, study how he did it. It's amazing because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God he could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's right there in the place of honor, right alongside of God. And the Bible says he's not just sitting alongside of God, but he is our attorney. He is our mediator with God saying, hey, hey, there's Cal down there. I know he's going through a tough day. Father, would you help him through this? That's what he's doing right alongside of God. But you see, on this day we're talking about, this last day of Jesus, before he went to the cross, was unlike any other day. Matter of fact, it started on a Thursday night. We know this. Maybe you've, you've been in church long enough. 
regardless of where you are in the journey of following Christ. Maybe you've seen an artwork with this. It's, it was called The Last Supper. It started on Thursday night with the most dearest of friends, only 12 of them, not the whole tribe that walked with him, but the 12 that were in that inner circle. And we've seen some phenomenal artwork depict that Last Supper. And that's where it started. And then, and then all night long, he was betrayed he was arrested and he was tried. And what's interesting about this is that in the Roman government and in Jewish culture, it was actually illegal to have a trial at night. But they made an exception for Jesus, obviously. And not only was there just one trial all night long for 12 hours, but he went through three trials back and forth to two kings because neither one of them, as you recall if you've read this, could find any fault with him. So they're just bouncing him back and forth, and they're listening to the crowd and to the mob and to all the people that wanted all this to happen. And then at the midst of that, after the trial was over, for, for, the, for the next few hours, he was tortured beyond what we can even comprehend. He was scourged and, and beaten with, with what we call a cat of nine tails, and it was made with leather, and inside the leather strappings were but pieces of bone and, and rock and stone. And so every time the leather would come down on whatever part of the body, it would just rip away uh, and shred the flesh and expose organs. And the bleeding would be profuse. And this lasted forever. The brutality that, that we can't even imagine as he went through that. And then about 9 a.m., after all that, he was nailed to a cross. And, and I want to kind of take away some of our images of the cross because sometimes when we see these beautiful paintings of the cross and pictures, uh, sometimes we come from certain backgrounds and we have crucifixes and it shows the body of Jesus and it was recognizable. Friends, it wasn't. Nor was the cross very high because Jewish culture and Roman culture tells us that there was uh, the the crosses were put at usually the height of the average person, which was about five foot five at the time, so that people could actually come by and mock even more. And in Jesus' case, they would mock even more, rip his beard out, spit on him, and then hit him with, with canes and sticks and say, hey, you've called yourself the king of the Jews. You've called yourself the king of kings. Why don't you get down from there? And so the mockery and all this lasted forever. And then they put his body and strapped him on the sides of the cross and as soon as they hoisted the cross into the air, and as soon as the cross dropped into the ground, the hole that was prepared for it, I mean, almost immediately, Jesus speaks the first words of his last words ever. And we find those words in Luke chapter 23, verse 34 in your notes. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. This is so amazing to me, after all that he'd gone through. Jesus is still teaching us in the midst of that. I mean, folks, listen to me. I, I, I'm not trying to lighten this or compare it in light, but I've hurt myself pretty bad before, even, even burned myself. And when you burn yourself, the last thing you're thinking about is somebody else. Are you with me? When you get hurt and you can't hardly breathe because of excruciating pain, Oh, about 15 years ago, I actually broke my neck, and I've got this plate in my neck and some surgery. When all that happened, I'm going to just tell you the truth. I wasn't thinking of anybody else, even my family and my wife. And yet Jesus on the cross, after all that brutality, was thinking about you and I. He says, forgive them. 
or they won't, don't know what to do. And, and, and not only was it so the words that he said, but listen to me, it was his first words. And so I want to challenge you today. I want to charge you today that this needs to be the first step you take when someone hurts you deeply. Why? Why did Jesus make that the first step? Why are we challenging ourselves to make it the first step? Because I'm just going to be honest with you. Knowing me, you're probably like I am because we're alike in a lot of ways that we don't think we are. If I don't make that my first step when somebody hurts me, it probably isn't going to be a step at all. Are you with me? And so Jesus was modeling us, make this the first step that we need to release we need to release the poison and the hurt and the pain that someone has done to us that is unbearable. And for some of you in this room with a crowd like this, I'm telling you, I guarantee you there are people sitting in here today, and I'm going to actually bring that out, and I'm asking you to forgive me right up front because I'm going to bring back some memory that you probably thought you'd forgotten about. This message like this stirs up stuff in us that Jesus said you have to take serious real serious. So I want you to really be challenged with this today. So our first principle, as you'll write this down, the very first thing that we need to do, that Jesus is showing us, that Jesus says, hey, look, when someone hurts you, the very first thing you need to do is to forgive everyone who's doing everything they can to mess up your life. And I'm just telling you that there, doesn't it seem like this? Can you agree with me? There seems like that there are actually people on earth that have that purpose. Come on. How many of you have them in your life? I do. I mean, they can come through our class, spiritual gift assessment, which is, you know, our step number four of our growth track. And they're going to find out what their spiritual gift is. And they're going to go there and find out that their spiritual gift is messing up Cal's life. <laughs> you have people like that in your life? We all do. But Jesus says you've got to forgive everyone who's doing everything to mess up your life. Listen, this is an important principle. It's such an important principle that Jesus included this teaching in the prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer that was given to us to teach us how to pray. Father, may we forgive those who trespass against us as you forgive us. Matter of fact, even as Duane said at the preface of the service today, there's a scripture in the Bible that if we don't choose, that's a big word, if we don't choose to forgive, then God chooses not to forgive us. And we'll cover that just a little bit later. Honestly, Jesus said, you better take this serious because you, you can't hear this principle enough. You could hear this every week and it wouldn't be enough. Why? Because every week, especially in today's world, come on, it is a culture of offense. We live in a culture of offense. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 24, and he's talking about the end times because someone asking Jesus, what is it going to be like? What's the sign of the end of times, like when you're going to come back and grab us, Jesus, when you're going to come back and get us, when, when is it going to all end? And Jesus said, here's a couple signs, and we're beginning to see this, this offense culture that nobody can say anything about anybody without somebody taking offense. And Jesus actually said it. He said, that, look at this, in verse 10 of chapter 24 of Matthew, and then many, would you underline, circle that word, many, because that word in the Greek actually means the majority. The majority will be offended. They're going to betray one another. They're going to hate one another. Are we seeing that in our culture today? Are we experiencing it? You better believe it. And in Luke 17, 1, he said to his disciples, 
It is impossible that no offenses should come. In other words, some of you have guarded your life and some of you are trying to live your life so that you'll never be offended again. It's impossible, Jesus said. You're, you are going to be offended. That's why you cannot hear this principle enough. Some of us have sat in forgiveness messages and we've heard talks on forgiveness and some of us have been hurt so deeply that we can't even describe it and you've been in, in some cases actually gone into counseling, into some therapy to get through some of the really nasty stuff that has happened in your life. But Jesus said, look, it's going to continue to happen. So that's why this principle you need to take really serious in the biblical sense, in the biblical sense, not, a, not in the therapeutic sense in the biblical sense are you with me church so take this really serious why because the unfortunate part of forgiveness is that it doesn't really affect the other person like it affects you it destroys us when we choose not to forgive in fact we actually we actually sometimes think that if we don't forgive it's like punishing the other person Sometimes we, we think that it's punishing them. Oh, I'm not going to forgive them. I'm never talking to them again. We think that's punishing them. And it may be a sort of kind of punishment to them, but it's destroying you and me when we choose to do that. Nelson Mandela said it like this, and I'm sure he's not the originator of this quote, but he's the one I heard it from. He said, look, unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. That's what unforgiveness is like. And some of us are experiencing that. We, we are feeling the, the effect of that, even as we're sitting in this room. Solomon said in Proverbs 18, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. How many of you would be honest enough to say, yeah, I have had a friend or two that there's some offense between us and we're no longer friends today? How many of you would say, yeah, that's me, you'd be crazy? Yeah, a lot of us. That's very true. An offended friend is tougher to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. And you know what the gate is? Your heart. Because <laughs> sometimes people can hurt you, and they can stick the knife in so deep, and they don't just stick it in deep, but they twist it and turn it back out. And then stick it in another place. People do that to us. People we love dearly. And some of you have had that happen since you were little. And you've dealt with it all of your life. And the people are still doing that. And you know, I've heard even as a pastor, people tell me, hey, I'm never trusting anybody again. I'm never going to get hurt like that ever again. And the Bible just said, that's like a gate locked with bars. Because that's not how Jesus intends for you to live your life. Closed up and walled up and shielded like God didn't intend for us to live that way. And Jesus is saying, you, you've got to let this go. You have to release this. You've got to, you need to let this go. See, there's another place in Scripture that tells us that if we don't let this go, that, I mean, it grows a bitter root in us. And it will defile many. And sometimes we don't even understand that the root is so bitter and it's so deep that it comes out. And we're like, where did that come from? It's that which we never release and never dealt with. So I want to show you that Jesus really understands this. I want to give it to you really deep and then kind of give it into another illustration. But very, very deeply, I want to show you five things that I want you to write down that Jesus understood that he went through 
in those 12 hours. Five things happened that I want you to see in the midst of all that brutality that Jesus went through for those 12 hours. These five things took place. Very quickly, Jesus experienced this, and he experienced this reminds us, reminds us that we're not alone. Amen? So I, that's why I'm giving you this to write down, because this reminds us Jesus went through this. We're not alone. What was it? Number one, betrayal. Maybe you've heard the name Judas. He was part of Jesus' inner circle, part of his closest friends. He sold Jesus out. Some of you feel that way. Some of you have experienced this. Some of you love someone deeply, and they've let you down. Some, some of you said, hey, I, I, don't, I don't believe that, that anybody could, will ever hurt me again, so you just guard it out. And I, listen, in reality, I don't believe anybody can hurt you deeply unless you love them deeply. That's the inner circle. That's the inner circle. And then next came false accusation after betrayal. Three trials, two kings, no fault. <laughs> you know, today's generation is not the only generation that people are paid to go protest. People were paid to accuse Jesus falsely. History tells us that. And, and this is tough for all of us. This is really tough for me. I'm okay with you saying that I did something or didn't do something, but don't make stuff up. And today, because of social media, everybody has a voice. And we call that keyboard courage. Because you don't have, they just make stuff up about you. Especially when you're in leadership and they don't like something that you led, they just go, boom, here it is. Man, it's tough. It is tough. And what's really crazy about this is that he had these 12 friends and none of them showed up to say things like, that's not true about my friend. That's not true. That you're making that none of them showed up. No one had his back. And some of you understand what that means and what that feels like because there was somebody in your life that was supposed to have your back. Somebody told you that they would be with you forever till death do you part. And they're not with you any longer. So now that takes us to number three, rejection. And we're feeling that today. From people you thought had your back. And then again, the social media stuff is crazy because there's some of the most mean, oh my God, I mean, people get on, listen, there are people taking their life because of what's written about them on Facebook. And I think well, some of us need to just get off of it and stop believing what people wrote on Facebook and start believing what God wrote about you in his word. Just Seriously. Seriously, and then, and then not only was there betrayal, not only was there just false accusation, the rejection, that, which turned into abandonment even. Next week we'll hear, even he felt like his own dad. God, God, why have you forsaken me? And then there's the next word, abuse. Like we have never experienced, and listen, I, I understand, I really do, as much as I possibly can, that there's some of you in this room that have really experienced abuse like you don't even I'm stirring it up again and you're like why are you doing this because I want you to see how deep this principle is Jesus experienced the brutality of the entire process of those 12 hours I mean his his hair in his face was ripped out of him those crown of thorns that were put on him they weren't like little thorn bushes they were four inches long and they weren't gently put on like a crown at a pageant they were jammed on his head and just ripped flesh and ripped into his eyes and Guys, this was abuse like we can't imagine. Matter of fact, the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament says this. 
that he was unrecognizable as a human. Not even his own mom could recognize him. This is the Lord of Lords. This is our Savior. And then the one part that Hollywood doesn't depict, and Hollywood has tried to depict this so well. And just a few years ago, remember, Mel Gibson produced this thing we call the Passion of the Christ. And there are Christ followers, and I'm not sure where you are on your journey, but there are Christ followers that I know that have not gotten the nerve to go watch that because of the abuse that happened to our Savior. It's just too much to bear. And yet, it's nothing like what the Bible says it was. As much as, And one area that I'm very glad Hollywood doesn't depict well, which is next, is humiliation. Because what the Romans did, they didn't just put you on the cross. They put you on the cross completely naked. Remember, you weren't high up in the air, 10, 11 feet. No, people spat on you, and they walked by you and hit you. And it was Deeply humiliating. Deeply humiliating. Why did Jesus go through all this? He didn't just go through this to go through this. Look at Hebrews chapter 2 and it kind of gives us a reason, gives us a picture of it. That's, That's why he had to do it. This is in your note. That's why he had to enter. I want you to underline, enter into every detail of human life. He had to enter into every detail of human life. Hebrews 2. 17. There is nothing you can go through that he hasn't been through. Are you with me, church? Nothing. Into every detail of life. Then when he came before God as high priest to get rid of people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself. All the pain, all the testing, and then would be able to help where help was needed. You can go to Jesus for help, regardless of what you've been through, what you're going through, what you are in right now, and he knows about it. He doesn't just know you are going through it. Friends, listen to me. Our God has been through it to help you where help is needed. Nothing, nothing, say it with me, nothing you can go through that he hasn't been through. Nothing you can experience he hasn't experienced. Now listen, lean in here a little bit. Because this is where it gets tough. You've, we, we've got all that, right? You get it? But there's nothing in you that's going to want to do any of this. When somebody hurts you like we're talking about today, nothing in you is going to want to forgive them. How many of you say, yeah, I get that. I get, yeah, I get it. Your emotions aren't going to feel like it. Matter of fact, here's what you're going to feel like, and some of you have done it. This is not about condemning you. This is about starting over. Amen? What you feel like doing when someone hurts you deeply, when someone tells you you're never going to amount to anything, when someone abuses you or rapes you and you have no defense as a little girl or a little boy or whatever it is, and somebody does all this humiliation and abuse and rejection and abandonment, you know what you want to do? You want to retaliate. Because you want to give them what they deserve. That's what you really want to do. And that's not what Jesus is telling us to do. Your emotions will always feel like retaliating. That's why I put 1 Peter 4.1 in here so that I can give you how Jesus thought. Christ, in your notes, suffered while he was in his body. Strengthen yourselves with the same way of thinking Christ had. See, what happens with forgiveness is we're not thinking properly. 
We're thinking the way the world has taught us to think. Are you with me, church? And what we want to start doing today with this message and the messages previous right to Easter is we want to start thinking the way Jesus thought. That's why I said earlier, what you have to do very first thing is what we're talking about today. Start thinking the way Jesus thought. See, the, the real problem is when we're hurt and abused, we're thinking the wrong way. So real quick, I want to tell you what forgiveness is not because we've thought the wrong way. We forgot this is forgiveness. I want to tell you before I say how to do it, scripturally, can I tell you how it, what it's not? Number one, forgiveness is not minimizing the seriousness of the hurt. Forgiveness is not minimizing. Some people will come by and say, oh, it's not all that bad. It is all that bad. Come on, it is. Some of you have been deeply hurt, and somebody will say, oh, it's okay. It's not okay. It's really not okay. And you don't, and you don't have to admit that it's not okay. It, you shouldn't cry. Yes, you should cry. It should tear you up on the inside. But what we're saying today is that Jesus understands that. So you can release it to him. It's not okay. Number two, it's not, and this is what will really kind of twist it, it's not reconciliation. Forgiveness can happen without the other person involved because it's your choice, not theirs. And, and I, I hope you do go toward reconciliation if you can. Some of you can. I, I couldn't. I experienced this with my own mom before she passed. My mom and I loved each other deeply, but there was one thing that we just could not get in past, and man, there was some deep-rooted stuff there, and then my mom suddenly, within 90 days of discovering she had cancer, died. And I never resolved that. But I have forgiven her for a deep issue that was there. And what I had to do was go to the graveyard. Essentially, the only time I've ever gone to my mom's grave, I, I went to my mom's grave, wrote a note, forgave her, burned it, and never went back. And I discovered that forgiveness is actually digging a grave, putting that offense in it, covering it up, and never going back to it again. That's what forgiveness is. It's not reconciliation. Forgiveness is a one-person event. It's not two people. It's what I decide regardless of what you've done. Are you hearing me? Number three, it's not about doing what's fair. It's not about doing what's fair. You don't want, I don't want to spend a lot of time here because you don't want fair. After what we just talked about, Jesus went through when he didn't do, there was no fault in him, I don't want fair. <laughs> okay? I don't want fair. C.S. Lewis said to be a Christian means to forgive inexcusable. But God has forgiven the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. Don't go down that road. Forgiveness is not about giving a person what they deserve. Forgiveness is about giving a person what they need. And then number four, this is the tough one, and then we're going to shift gears a little bit very quickly. Forgiveness is not impossible. Some of you, you're, you're, you're saying as we're talking, but Cal, you just don't know what happened to me. No, I don't. But I also know what God's word says. I know what it says. And I know what it means. And I know the foundation and the truth in God's word. It is not impossible. I could give you resource after resource. I could share story after story to tell you people's lives after people's lives, 33 years of ministry, that it's not impossible. But I'd rather show you something instead. So watch this.
Anybody home? Hi, come on in, Elise. Hi. Hi, how are you today? Good. Good. Oh, Andy just called and said he was running a little late. Ah, uh, figures. Yeah, his coworker <clears throat> showed up late. You guys still working on that project? Yes, due Friday. I'll be glad to get it done. I bet. Would you like something to drink? Um, no, thanks. I'm good. Sure? Yeah. Okay. You still enjoying Cal State East Bay? Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Uh, I really liked the junior college I was at in Ohio, though. It was nice, and I had a lot of friends, but my parents just wouldn't let me stay. Why not? Well, we just moved here in August. Um, they want me here with them, probably to help them adjust or something. I don't know. I don't think it's fair. They got to let me go sometime, you know? Yeah, but that's hard for parents to do. Yeah, but, I mean, they've had me for 20 years already. Most marriages don't last that long, right? Do you want a divorce from your parents? <laughs> uh, well, a separation would be fine. <laughs> so were you born in Ohio? Uh, yes, I was. I lived there my whole life. Well, you're in for a special treat because the Bay Area is a special place. It's just different. Yeah, you're right. It is really pretty here. Yeah, it's and I love going to the beach. Ohio's not exactly known for its coastline, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I forgot. This was on your front porch. Oh, thank you. I wasn't expecting. What's wrong? Who's Jason? My son. I thought Andy was the only child. Jason died six years ago. Oh, I am I'm so sorry, Mrs. Hollander. How old was he? Just 15. He was riding his bike and he was hit by a car and died two days later. Was it a drunk driver? How did you know? So that's why Andy wanted to do our paper on that. What do you think it is? <laughs> Dear Jason, happy birthday in advance. Since you're turning 21, you will no longer be automatically covered by your parents' policy. I'll be calling you soon to discuss the possibility of you purchasing insurance from us. In the meantime, enclosed is a gift. It's a highway safety kit. I'm so sorry. I'm home. Hey, Elise. Sorry I'm late. Yeah, a package just came for Jason. How come you never told me about your brother? I, I don't know. Well, so what happened to the guy who hit him? Did he walk away? Yeah, he did. Oh, man. That's so unfair. Hitting a 15-year-old kid, killing him, and then walking away? <laughs> that sucks. Would have been better if he'd been killed, too? Yeah, I think so, right? I mean, somehow I think it would have been better. Your brother's dead because some low-life idiot got drunk and drove, right? What happened to him? I hope he's in prison. 
He didn't go to prison. Why not? They didn't press charges. <laughs> Seriously? Your parents let him walk away? Not exactly. Well, what do you mean, not exactly? Look, he was just a messed up guy with a lot of problems, okay? Okay. So, Andy, what happened to him then? They were going to press charges. Then they saw this kid in court. Saw, he didn't know what he was doing. Didn't mean to hurt anyone. He was just a stupid, lonely kid. They saw that and forgave him. Wow. They started to love him. They adopted him. Wait, your parents? Jason's not my brother. I never knew him. I'm the drunk driver, the low-life idiot. So they adopted you? Yeah, me. <laughs> Look, give me a minute. I need to see how she's doing. It's impossible. No. It's very possible. Because see, that, that drama was not made up of anybody's imagination. That's a true life story. I love Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13 starts off with, I can. I can. Would you say that with me? I can. Do what? Everything through Christ who gives me the strength. I can. But here's the hard part as we close. And see, you're, you're never going to believe me until you do these. You're never going to know they work until you try. But this is the very words of Jesus. The, these aren't points that I've made up for you. This is scripture that Jesus has given us so that we can do the impossible. I don't want to just tell you how to do it. I want to tell you where the strength comes from to do it. Okay? So number one, here's what you do. You pray for them. You pray for them. And I know some of you are going, but, but Cal, I, I do pray for them. I pray that they're, they're, every tire on their car is flat every day in rush hour traffic. And I pray that hair grows out of their eyes and warts on their ears. Every day I pray. Not that kind of prayer. <laughs> and some of you pray even worse things. <laughs> Not that kind of prayer. Matter of fact, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5 in your notes. You've heard it that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's a huge word, persecute, because they were in the midst of the Roman persecution that you would die. Not just get laughed at for being a Christ follower, but if you profess that you followed this Jesus guy, you could literally lose your life. And so pray for those who are doing that. Here's one thing that I don't know for sure. I don't know that when you pray for the people who've hurt you, if they will ever change. But here's one thing I can guarantee you, you will. You will, because I know it's impossible to hate somebody while you're praying for them. That's impossible to do. And Jesus didn't leave it there. He took it up a notch. Number two, pray for them, and now bless them. 
The word bless in the Greek means to speak favor over. If you're familiar with Crossroads Church, you've been here a while, and if you're new, you're going to experience this today. One of the things we do at the end of every service, if you're comfortable, is we ask you to lift a hand and we speak favor over you, a blessing. That's what you're to do, Jesus said, with your enemies, to speak well of them, saying literally, I'm not going to allow a curse to come out of my mouth against these people. Luke says this, but to you who are willing to listen, because see, some of us aren't even willing to listen. We're not willing. So if you're willing to listen, I say love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Paul took it up one more notch in Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. I can tell you that every time I've done this, guys, the power of God has showed up in the middle of that. Every time. But again, you're not going to believe me unless you do it. You're never going to know it works unless you try it. And so for some of you, it's a step-by-step process. Number three, Jesus really took it up a notch. He said, do good to them. Watch this in Romans. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you're honorable because people are watching. They're watching. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I'll pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, go grocery shopping for them. Feed them, literally. If they're thirsty, give them some drink. If doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their head. And you're like, I know that's what I want. Burn them up, Jesus. That doesn't work in our culture. Let me tell you what that's like very quickly. Because, see, in our culture, we have electricity. But in this culture, they kept warm and they kept food cooked by burning coals and if coals went out that was the highest commodity they could have so jesus was literally saying take your burning coals to them and give it to their enemies so they can exist highest commodity find something that you can do good for them and the power of god will show up in your life we have to deal with this every day how how do you do that because you have to recognize very easily. I've never been forgiven. Yes, you have through God, through Jesus. But I've never forgiven anyone more than God forgave me. Are you with me? I've never forgiven anyone more than God forgave me. And here's a promise. You'll never forgive anyone more than God forgave you. So the last thing you write on your notes is the forgiven forgive. Freely you have received, Matthew says, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. Now, very quietly, in this attitude of worship a little bit, would you just kind of put everything away? Very quietly. No one but ushers or whatever, no one moving around right now. I want to ask you a question. Because, see, in our culture... We can really fix ourselves up to where we look like we're okay. We're experts at it. We can put on the right clothes. We can put on the right gear. We can put on the right makeup. We can, we can look good on the outside, and everybody can think we're okay. And we can do very good at that, can't we? Come on. But on the inside, we're not well. Because it's like drinking poison, expecting the other people to suffer. And what's happening is it's slowly eroding our own soul. So I just want to ask you this question. Is your soul 
well. Father, thank you today for your word of truth. And I thank you that you've spoken to us in a way that can set us free. I pray that we would take this sincere. And I pray, God, right now that you allow us to start working on what we have to work on. Every person in this room knows what that is. Every person in this room that's dealing with this, there's a name, there's a face, there's somebody that's coming to us right now. So, God, would you give us the strength to begin to pray one step further and actually bless, speak favor, and then to do good. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for the strength that we can do it because we can do all things, everything through you who strengthens us. In Jesus' name, everyone said together, amen. Amen.